None of us in this room are natural children of God. None of us were born by birth into this spiritual family of the church and a faith in Jesus Christ. But all of us who are believers in Christ are children of God by way of adoption. In other words, He would have us look back and He would have us remember that we were once orphans. That we were the ones who were once fatherless. That we were the ones who were once without care, without provision, without hope, without help. We were the ones who lived without a spiritual family. We were the ones lost in the world, helpless under the influences of sin and of Satan. And God in His infinite mercy and grace sovereignly reached out in time and said to us as orphans, I have bought you and now I will adopt you. And no longer will you walk alone in this world, but you will be part of my family. I will be your father. You will be my child. And not only will you relate to me as your father, but look around you. There are many other adopted children of Jesus Christ who are now your brothers and your sisters in this family. The place we want to begin in understanding the compassionate heart of God toward orphans is to remember that you and I were the orphans. You and I were the ones in need of adopting love and God in His infinite love and mercy adopted us. And where we want to begin is not by looking at slides and pictures of children in some way that we would say, well, these are children who are out there. These are children who are outside the church. These are children who are outside in society who are in need of help. But what we want to do is to look at these children and to remember and to see in these photographs ourselves that we were the ones in need of care and of help and of a protector and a provider. This morning I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. It's going to be our text this morning. And as we seek to understand to believe and to internalize the truths that are in this passage. My trust is that we would stand freshly amazed at the adopting love of God toward us in Jesus Christ. And that we would relate toward God as sons, no longer as slaves, and draw near into His presence, calling Him 
Abba, Father. Let's read together this beautiful passage. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This morning, I want to begin by asking you a very simple question. And the question is this. When you come to your relationship with God, do you see yourself more as a slave or as a son? When you come to your relationship with God, do you see yourself more as a slave or as a son? And by the word slave, I would mean the synonyms would be an employee, a hired servant, Someone who does his duty because it is his responsibility to do so. When you relate toward God on a daily basis, when you come to Him from Monday to Saturday, and as you relate to Him, do you relate to Him as a slave or as a son? I think the difference between the two can be illustrated by the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. The prodigal son had insulted his father. He had wished that his father were dead. He went out and wasted his life in loose and sinful living. And in returning home, he rehearsed this speech in saying, I hope my father will not be angry with me. I hope my father will not condemn me. I hope my father will not judge me. And he rehearsed the speech in his mind. He said, I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. The wish of the prodigal son was, I hope my father will not punish me. I hope my father will not judge me. I hope my father will not condemn me. But I hope that he will have mercy upon me enough to remember my offenses no more and just take me in as an employee of his home. If he were just to do that, just let me be a worker in his home. Just be a hired servant and do my job and pay me and feed me and just not kill me. Oh, that would be mercy and grace enough for me. And so he rehearses this speech in his mind. This is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to say to my father. I, and I hope that he'll take me in and just let me be an employee in his home. If we're honest, this is how many Christians view their relationship with God. They say, I just hope God will not punish me or be angry with me because of my sin. 
I just hope that God will not condemn me for my sin, but if He just lets me into His home and just lets me work, oh, that'll be enough. If I could just be an employee... If you're familiar with this parable, you know that the son comes home and as he rehearses this mental dialogue in his mind, the parable says that while he was still far off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son begins to give his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he gets the speech out, the father says to the slaves, quickly, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and now has been found. The heart of the Father, Jesus says, is no, He will not just show mercy to wipe away the offense and then to receive Him on neutral terms. He will not just show mercy in saying that I won't remember your offenses and I'll take you in as a hired servant. His mercy is not just that He would withhold punishment and withhold justice, but His heart, His compassionate heart, is to say, I will not just receive you as a slave, but I will receive you as a son. And you will be welcome in my home, in spite of all you've done, not just in terms of neutrality, that my wrath is removed, but in terms of acceptance, and joy, and delight, and embrace, and warm affections. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what I would ask you this morning is simply this. On a daily basis, do you experience the fatherly affection of God toward you in Jesus Christ? On a daily basis, do you experience the Father's intimate love and faithfulness for you in Jesus Christ? On a daily basis, do you relate to God as your Father? As one who is welcome into His presence at any time? As one who doesn't need to make an appointment? As one who doesn't need to prepare perfect speeches in order to impress Him? but as one who simply comes through faith in Jesus Christ and feels God's acceptance and embrace of you through the gospel? Or are you relating to God as a slave? And saying, God, just don't punish me. I'll do my duty. I'll be faithful to my disciplines. And as long as you don't kill me, I'm fine. You can be over there and I'll be over here. I'll just do my responsibilities. And that's the Christian life. 
what Paul would direct us to is this simple truth. That God in Jesus Christ does not merely tolerate us, He delights over us. That God through the gospel of Jesus Christ does not just allow us to come home, but He rejoices over our homecoming and that the angels rejoice when we come to the Father. That God in His infinite love and mercy in Jesus Christ does not just allow us to eat from His household and to be under His roof, but He welcomes us as full-fledged sons and children. Love has taken us in, and love says, you belong here. You belong here. If you're like me, you need help in truly understanding the measure of God's grace in this way. If you're like me, you have a tendency in your heart to say, no, I gotta, this can't be true, this can't be real. I have to do something. I have to make it up to God. I have to perform some work. I have to work my way into His favor. I can't just receive His love. I can't just come into His presence. I, I need to make an appointment. I need to write out my prayers so that they will perfectly impress Him. But you have trouble by faith receiving grace that has been given to us in Christ Jesus and drawing near to the Father and experiencing His delight and affection over you. And if you are like me and you need help in this, then this passage is for you and this passage is for me because in Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7, Paul presents to us two sovereign acts of God's grace which reveal His adopting love for us. Two sovereign acts, historical, objective, time and space acts in which He reveals His adopting love Love for His children. And the more that we internalize these truths, the more we will relate to God as sons and no longer as slaves. The first truth we're going to see in verses 4 to 5 is that God sent His Son that we might receive adoption. And the second truth we'll see in verses 6 to 7 is that God sent His Spirit that we may experience adoption. God sent His Son that we may receive adoption, and God sent His Spirit that we may experience adoption. Both of these truths will be critical, both will be crucial, both will be necessary if we are to relate to God as sons rather than as slaves. And so let's see what the Lord would teach us through this passage. First truth that Paul teaches us is that God sent His Son that we might receive adoption. Verse 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. You know, just by... Uh, brief overview of these two verses that these two verses really focus and centralize our thoughts on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity. Fully God. Co-equal with the Father. Co-equal with the Spirit. 
these two verses focus our attention upon the historical, objective, person, and work of Jesus Christ in this world. The verse begins with the phrase, when the fullness of time came, that anchors our thoughts into the arena of human history, in the arena of human chronology, in the arena of time and space. And Paul here pictures the entirety of human history as God's perfect plan that he was orchestrating before the foundation of the world. He planned it, and in time he executed it, and he brought about generations of uh, successive histories of peoples and nations to set the scene for the coming of the Son of God to this world. When the fullness of time came, when the pleroma, the, when the hourglass was filled, when God had set the stage, when He had brought about the generations of Abraham to David and established Christ's genealogy as the prophesied Messiah, when he had set the scene with the Roman Empire and had set the scene with the development of the Greek language so that the message of the Son of God could flow into civilized society. When everything was set, the text reads, God sent forth His Son. You will note here that salvation and the Gospel is presented as something that God did. That God took the initiative. Salvation in the gospel was God's idea. It was God's plan. It was God's execution. Christianity differs from all other religions in that all other religions declare that we must find a way to work our way to God. The gospel declares that no, God has worked it out. God has done it. God has reconciled us unto Himself. And so Paul says here that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son. This points to the sovereign initiative of God. This first points to the sovereign grace of God. This points to the fact that God is the one who pursued us. We are not the ones who pursued God. No man seeks after God, Romans 3 says. But God, in His infinite love and mercy, initiated and sent His Son into this world. He sent forth His Son. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born of a woman, Paul says. He was born to a virgin named Mary in a little town called Bethlehem. He was raised by Joseph and Mary in a little obscure place called Nazareth. After 30 so years of obscurity, he exercised a three-year public ministry in which he preached, he taught, he healed, he performed many miracles, he fulfilled Scripture. And then approximately 2,000 years ago, he laid down his physical life he went to the cross. He bore our sins. He took the judgment and the wrath that we deserved and He satisfied it in full. And then on the third day, He rose triumphantly from the grave. 
Paul encapsulates this glorious good news, this gospel message in these words. God sent forth His Son. This is all something that God has accomplished. This is God's work. And make no mistake about it, verse 4, Paul says that God sent forth His Son. Jesus was the Son of God. And that term is a term which Scripture uses to highlight the absolute deity of Jesus Christ, that He was 100% God. But would you notice in this text, the text not only tells us that He was the Son of God, but that He was born of a woman. He was not only 100% God, but He was 100% man. He had to be man if He was going to redeem us. He had to be man because Scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And yet He could not merely be man Because the weight of our sin and the guilt of our sin was infinite in nature. And the only way to atone for an infinitely great offense against God is to provide an infinitely valuable sacrifice. And so Jesus Christ, the God-man, had to be both fully man and fully God in order to atone for our sins. And Paul says here, that is what he was. That is who he was. He was the Son of God, and yet He was born as a woman. And notice very carefully, verse 4, Paul says He was also born under the law. Very important. So critical to understand that phrase. Born under the law. What does that mean? It means Jesus was born as a Jew. Uh, Jesus was born to a Jewish family. Jesus was under the authority of the Old Testament Law, which revealed God's holy standard for man and for the world. And yet Jesus Christ did what no other man has ever did. What no other man has ever accomplished is He kept the law perfectly, without blame, without sin, without blemish, without fail, Jesus Christ in His earthly life established a perfect, active, positive record of righteousness which God says has been now imputed to our account by grace through faith. Verses 4-5 to are all about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. They're all about the life of Jesus Christ, the deity of Jesus Christ, the humanity of Jesus Christ, the perfect, holy, spotless, blameless record of Jesus Christ, what theologians call the active righteousness of Jesus Christ. They are about the death of Jesus Christ, the atonement of Jesus Christ, and they are about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul says all of this, God accomplished... Don't miss this. 
Verse 5. Purpose clause. In order that He might redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Some of you may be feeling in your heart, I understand what God did in human history 2,000 years ago. I understand the objective historical nature of the person and ministry of Jesus Christ, but that was 2,000 years ago. What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with my life? What does this have to do with my life today? And what Paul does here is he draws a connection, an arrow, if you will, from 2,000 years ago and the objective historical work of Jesus Christ on the cross And he draws a connection to your life and to my life today on Father's Day 2009, meeting together in 12345 Springdale Street. And he says that God sent his son to do all that so that in order that for the purpose of That we, you, me, us, the church, we might receive both redemption and adoption. Redemption is the negative side. It's freeing a person from slavery. By paying the price. Redemption is God saw you as a slave. He went to the marketplace and he said, I'll buy you. I'll win your freedom. I'll pay the price for you. And the price will be the blood of my own son, Jesus Christ. But you can be free and still not have a family. You can be free and still not have a father. You can be free and still not have brothers and sisters. And so Paul says in verse 5 that Christ did His work not just in order that He might redeem us, but that we might receive the adoption as sons. Having freed us from our slavery, having canceled out our debt, having canceled out our offense, God said to us what the father in Luke 15 said to the prodigal son. I will not just cancel out the things you've done wrong, but having forgiven you, I will now lavish you with my love and favor. See, brothers and sisters, if the verse ended with redemption, we would have enough to praise God for all eternity. If the verse ended with just, God's not going to kill you. God's not going to send you to hell. God's not going to judge you. God will just let you come and just tolerate you and you can work for Him If that was all that salvation was, we'd still have enough to sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. 
that saved a wretch like me. Because I'm not going to hell. My sins have been forgiven. And I'll just be in this corner of God's house and I'll just do the work He gives to me. And He doesn't need to talk to me and I don't need to talk to Him. Just as long as He doesn't kill me, that's fine. But Paul here points to the infinite nature of God's grace in showing us the salvation in the Gospel is not just the wiping out of our debts, but it is the lavishing of God's favor upon us that we might receive adoption as sons. That we may be fully welcomed into the family of God. That we may have the right and the privilege of coming to God through His Son. And of experience His delight of us, His delight in us because of what Christ has done for us, and His embrace of us. That's why God sent His Son. That's why He did it. The purpose clause in verse 5 is so important. It was all in order that redemption and adoption may occur. In other words, if we say, well, I know that Jesus has died for me, but the doctrine of adoption is not that important. It's not that important that I draw near to the Father through the work of the Son. It's not that important that I feel and experience God's delight and embrace and acceptance of me. Just Jesus died and I don't want to connect it to anything else. Paul says you've missed the whole point. God sent His Son in order that we might receive adoption. And God wants us to relate to Him as sons, not as slaves. Brothers and sisters, can I just get your attention to this truth for a moment? You are not honoring the work of the Son when you relate to the Father as a slave. You are not honoring the work of the Son when you relate to the Father as an employee. You are not believing in, trusting in, resting in the work of the Son when you relate to the Father in a cold, mechanical way when you try to earn your way into His favor, when you try to make your works or your spirituality the basis of His acceptance of you, this does not honor the work of the Son, Jesus Christ, because the work of the Son, Jesus Christ, was for the purpose that we might receive adoption. And God's will is that we may come to the Father through the work of the Son, and experience His acceptance and delight over us. The first truth is that God sent His Son that we may receive adoption. 
But that's not all Paul says here. There's something else that is so important. I can't stress how important this is for your life and for my life. Many of us hear this truth and we say, I understand the doctrine of adoption. I understand the purpose of the cross. I understand my legal status as a child of God. But if truth be known, if you look at your life on a daily basis, if you're honest, you're not experiencing the joy and the freedom of that truth. You're not experiencing the joy and the delight of being a child of God in Christ. If truth be known, you would say, I believe in my head this doctrine and I believe my legal status, but this reception of adoption hasn't translated into the experience of adoption. And this is where Paul's going to get in our kitchen. And he's going to say, brothers and sisters, it is not enough that you just understand your status as adopted children of God in Christ. That status must translate into an experience. And because it is so crucial that we not only receive adoption, but that we experience adoption, Paul leads us to the second truth in verse 6. That God has not only sent His Son that we may receive adoption, God has sent His Spirit that we may experience adoption. Verse 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You'll note the parallel here in verse 6 and verse 4. Verse 4, God sent forth His Son. Verse 6, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son. In verse 4, God sends forth Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. In verse 6, God sends forth the Holy Spirit to live in us and to indwell us and to fill us and to bear His fruit in us that we may experience the blessings and the benefits of what Christ has already accomplished for us. In verse 4, God sends forth the second person of the Trinity. In verse 6, God sends forth the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And in verse 4, God sends forth Jesus Christ into the world when the fullness of time came approximately 2,000 years ago. But make no mistake about it, verse 6, God sends forth His Spirit, not into the world, but into our hearts. And not 2,000 years ago, but in the present, here and now. Because you are sons, because your status is adopted children, God has sent forth His Spirit that you may experience the blessings and the benefits of being an adopted child of God. Paul emphasizes here that the doctrine of adoption is not a truth 
to be merely analyzed. There's not a truth just to understand in our heads. It is a truth that is meant to transform the way we live. It is a truth that is meant to transform the way we relate to God as Father and not as an employer. It is meant to relate, to transform the way we relate to one another. Because we are all adopted children of God in Christ. And it is on this James 1.27 Sunday, a truth that is meant to transform the way they relate to society. If I could put it this way, adopted children of God and Jesus Christ have a passion and an openness and a love to minister to children who are helpless and in need. They have a heart to minister to orphans and they have a heart for adoption because they know the sweetness of what it means to be an orphan yourself and to be brought into God's family. And so verse 6, Paul points us to the work of the Spirit. And he highlights here just one specific thing that the Spirit does in our lives. The work of the Spirit is to point us to the person and work of the Son. Jesus made that clear in John 16:14 that when the Spirit comes, He will glorify Me. Paul here teaches us that the work of the Spirit is to minister to our hearts in such a way, the person and work of the Son, that we may be drawn in intimacy, in love to the Father. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Son comes to this world and dies on the cross to provide the atonement for our sins. The Spirit comes into our hearts and points us to the cross and ministers to us in such a way that we experience in our hearts the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice, the sufficiency of Christ's atonement, the sufficiency of Christ's work. And as we trust and as we rest and as we believe in Jesus, we are drawn into intimacy with the Father who loves us. And the result of that is we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. How do you know if you're being filled with the Spirit? How do you know if you're walking by the Spirit? How do you know that the Spirit is leading you? The distinguishing characteristic of the work of the Spirit is that Spirit-filled Christians experience the love of the Father on the basis of 
the work of the Son. And because they experience the Father's love and embrace and welcome and delight over them, they have confidence, holy yet humble confidence, to come into their Father's presence at any time. And the verse says they cry out. The Greek term is it's krodzo. It's not talking here about a faint talk. It's talking here about a loud cry. Krodzo. They cry out, Abba! Father! And they have confidence to pray in this way because Jesus has died for them and His righteousness has been imputed to their account. They have confidence to pray in this way because the sufficiency of the Son's atonement on their behalf. They have confidence to come into the Father's presence at any time because they are accepted not on the basis of their righteousness. They are accepted on the basis of Christ's righteousness on their behalf. And so, as the Spirit fills your heart, you are pointed to the Son's work and you are drawn into the Father's presence and you come and you cry, Abba. It's not the cry of an adult. Some of you are going to call your dad today and say, Father, Happy Father's Day. It's not the cry of a teenager who calls his dad on Father's Day and says, Hey, Dad, Happy Father's Day, Dad. It's not even the cry of a grade schooler, a 10-year-old, 6-year-old, it says, Daddy, Happy Father's Day. Abba is, it's baby talk. It's the most intimate, endearing term. Possibly a two to three year old. It's, all cultures have an equivalent of one syllable repeated two times because it's usually the first words out of a baby's mouth that the easiest thing to say, Abba, Papa, Dada. And what Paul teaches us here is that God is not interested in a cold, formal relationship with you or me. God is not interested in a dry, rote, mechanical relationship with you or me. God is not interested in us going through the spiritual disciplines and saying, God, I did my duty. What, the reason why God sent His Son is that we might receive adoption as His sons. And the reason why He sent His Spirit is that we may experience the joy of this privileged status. And what moves the heart of God is when His children come and when they, when they cry out to Him. And if you ever watch children, you know that sometimes they talk to their daddies soft and sometimes they talk loud. I've seen uh, children in the airport seeing their daddy come home after a couple weeks. They don't just say, Father... Nice to see you. They open up their arms and they cry out with joy and they run and they say, Daddy! 
I've also seen children, such as my children, who are terrified. Maybe they've watched a movie that was a little too scary for them. And they wake up in the middle of the night, sweaty and in tears. And they cry out in the middle of the night, Daddy! I've heard my children speak to me in both ways. I can tell you that both move my heart. Whether they're coming and running up to me and crying, Daddy! Or whether they're calling to me in the middle of the night and saying, Daddy! It doesn't matter where they're at. However they're crying out to me, it moves my heart because I'm their father. But what does not move my heart is if my children say, Sir, do you have a job for me to do? Sir, how many, how much, what is my hourly wage for doing chores in this home? Sir, what are the duties and responsibilities that you would like me to do? I think I speak for any of the fathers here this morning that if your your children were to speak to you in this way, you would say to them, that insults me. You think I'm a boss? You think I'm your employer? I'm your dad. And you're my child. God would say to us, because I sent my son to die for you and because I sent my spirit to live in you, you are my child. And you can come at any time and you can cry out to me and I will hear you because I'm your father. I am your father. Adopted children of God are accepted by God with joy and delight and not merely tolerated as a slave. Adopted children of God are welcomed into God's presence. They don't need to make an appointment. They can come at any time. Adopted children of God feel the lavish affection and the delight of God over them in Jesus Christ. Adopted children of God draw near to the Father in intimacy and delight, crying, Abba, Father, Adopted children of God relate to other adopted children of God with affection and with embrace because we are all part of one spiritual family. Adopted children of God, Paul says, have an inheritance from God as full-fledged children in Jesus Christ. And that inheritance is what awaits us in the glories of heaven which are to come. And if I could just close with this one thought. Adopted children of God, 
have a passion to help the defenseless and the weak and those without a provider, the fatherless. They have a passion for the orphan. They have a passion for adoption. Not out of guilt. Not out of some legalistic standard for the church. But simply because of the sheer joy of having been adopted ourselves. Would you bow with me in prayer as we close our time? We cry out to you, Abba, Father, because of what you are Son has done for us. You are the one who has initiated this salvation. You are the one who has accomplished this salvation. All we have done is to receive your grace. And so we cry, Abba. And we thank you for your love and your embrace of us through Christ. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.